The Guardian. Media Talk is brought to you by the Marketing Agencies Association's Best Awards. To celebrate British marketing and advertising excellence, head to guardian.co.uk slash bestawards. Well, look at that. We've got ourselves a sponsor. Hello, I'm Matt Wells. Welcome back to Media Talk coming up this week. The barons of the media with their red-topped assassins are the biggest beasts in the modern jungle. They have no predators. They are untouchable. They laugh at the law. A new investigation into phone hacking. Will the shady practices of the news of the world lead to a new clampdown on the press? Also in the podcast... Christine, first show. Jackets, grey, blue. Mm, grey. Beard or no beard? No beard. No beard. Trousers or no trousers? Always trousers, Adrian. Daybreak begins on ITV. We give our verdict on the revamped morning sofa show. Plus, the lineup for the new series of Strictly Come Dancing is announced. And... And the last word today, Enoch Powell, best Prime Minister we've probably never had. Politicians who complain about the media are like ship's captains who complain about the sea. Nothing batty about that. Sarah Kennedy confirms she's leaving Radio 2. But where will she go next? This is Media Talk from The Guardian. Now that you'll be pleased to know that uh, my uh, sore throat has well and truly cleared up since our last uh, podcast on the Edinburgh TV Festival. Uh, it must have been uh, something in the water. It's probably the whiskey that they serve with it. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, we're back in the studio this week and joining us is the media writer and broadcaster, Stephen Broadcaster, Stephen Brooke. Who writes I've been on LBC, Matt. <laughs> Thank you very much. Who, uh, who in recognition of his uh, mother country's new government is sporting a rather fetching amber T-shirt. Are, are, are you, green uh, and gold. Green and gold, yes. Well, gold is the T-shirt, green is the bag yeah, yes um, amber wrote that link. <laughs> uh how am i was that what you were gonna ask i was gonna ask you how how are you and i'm I, not I, very I, well you, why not why not well well I, i've been so actually no i have been quite ill i've been to the doctor i've been suffering relevance deprivation syndrome what i used to matter in this town matt <laughs> editors would ring up and shout at me now all i do is sit at home watching quiz shows and on de- tv and daybreak which we'll come to uh, later uh making his media talk debut uh, we're <laughs> we're d-mob happy to be welcoming moz d program director at talks how are you, Moss? I'm fantastic. Ha- ha- An absolutely delight to be here in the salubrious surroundings of the Guardian building and your immense studio. It's, it's huge. It's, it's a big it's one. It's huge. It's a big one. Uh, we'll, personalities to fill. We'll, uh, we'll come on to TV and uh, radio later on, but we'll start this week uh, with the big story from the last seven days. Uh, no, not the tube strike. Uh, more mischief at the News of the World. Media Talk with Matt Wells on guardian.co.uk. Mr Deputy Speaker, I hope that members on all sides will support this motion. This is not about one man. It is not about the one honourable member whose case has already been to court. It is, however, about what kind of investigative journalism we want in this country. Searching, yes, critical, caustic, aggressive and cynical maybe, but not illegal. And it is about whether this House will be supine when its members' phones are hacked or whether it will take action when the democratic rights of MPs to do their job without illegal let, hindrance or interception has been traduced. We have taken action before as a House. We should take action today. It's the media corruption story that just won't go away. 14 months ago, The Guardian revealed a culture of phone hacking at the News of the World during the editorship of Andy Coulson, the man who's now, of course, David Cameron's chief spin doctor. Those claims relate back to 2006, when the tabloid's royal editor Clive Goodman and private investigator Glenn Mulcair were arrested and then imprisoned for illegally intercepting voicemails. Like Manuel in Faulty Towers, Coulson now says he knew a nothing, but now an article 
article in the New York Times, of all places, has reignited the story. And a number of ex-News the World reporters have come forward to speak about the nefarious goings-on in Wapping. Now, there is to be a new investigation by the most powerful committee of the House of Commons. And there are calls for Rupert Murdoch to be summoned. And even Simon Hughes, president of the Liberal Democrats, said it was time for a commission of inquiry into the press as a whole. The Labour MP, Tom Watson, has been making much of the running on this story, and he's in Westminster now. Um, Tom, you really got a sense in the uh, debate this week in the Commons that there is a head of steam building up behind this. Um, What is it that has got you lot so riled about this story? I just think that the scale of this phone hacking uh, scandal has only just dawned on MPs. And when they've had time to reflect on the implications of that for democracy the media and sort of you know people's liberty they they've begun to get angry and slowly drip by drip they're beginning to realize that they and their colleagues may have been targeted and you know they're not having it and it's kind of i think today the argument transcended party politics um probably for the first time and people realise that actually we have got to sort of stop this and get on with it and try and sort it out and get to the bottom of exactly what went on and, ha- and, and then maybe look at how we can make sure it never happens again. Um, but you say it transcended party politics. Isn't it actually, the danger about it is that it's Labour MPs that are making the running because you want to score points on the Tories because you think that Andy Coulson is the weak link in the coalition government? Well, this resolution was supported by Sir George Younger and Nicholas Soames, two pillars of the British establishment. It was supported by the Lib Dems and Simon Hughes spoke in favour of it, which is the point I make about it, crossing party boundaries. Um, I don't think anyone can make a a credible case now to say that it was just partisan. Although, of course, you know, the problem is we have got this kind of Andy Coulson issue as part of the story, Mm. and Labour is without a leader... Uh, and, you know, we've got five candidates who require media coverage. And so there is a sort of, you know, there is a, a suggestion that this has been used for that. But I, I genuinely think the debate today lifted the debate out of that. And I don't think anyone could seriously say that Parliament was not united in trying to deal with the issue now. So, uh, so the, the result of this debate, um, as I was saying in the, the introduction, is that there's going to be a new investigation by the most powerful committee of the House of Commons. What does that mean? What will be a satisfactory outcome of that for you? Are you looking for the scalp of Andy Coulson, or is your, um, is your motive higher than that? I think it's bigger than Andy Coulson. I mean, it may be a noble aim to try and uh, reform the culture of uh, the, the sort of British media, um, for one, but I think the actual, this particular inquiry, its first steps will be to establish the facts. And one of the myths of the debate that has gone on this last week was that my committee, the Culture, Media and Sports Select Committee, had had a full and deep inquiry and cleared people of wrongdoing. The truth is we couldn't get the witnesses we needed to establish the facts on our committee. Glenmore Care... Clive Goodman, Neville Thirlbeck, uh, Greg Miskew, Ross Hall were all unavailable these, to address our committee. These, these are reporters, and Glenn Mulcair was the detective who, uh, who, who was jailed. None of them came. But, the, but this new, this, the Standards Committee can make these people come, can't it? Well, I think they will now. I yeah. don't think there'll be any doubt at all that they will uh, be expected to, be, to speak to the committee. And they'll also want to hear from Andy Heyman, who, as head of the Metropolitan Police Special Operations Unit, 
headed up the original inquiry. And I think they'll want to go through quite forensically uh, what Andy Heyman decided and when, when it came to revealing what evidence was available. Yeah, uh, you, you even suggested that the, the committee should call Rupert Murdoch. That's a bit far-fetched, isn't it? Never going to happen? I'd like it to happen, and I'd like it to happen because um, we read in the press that Rupert Murdoch didn't know about this. I would like him to reassure the committee that he didn't know about it. He's the head of a multimedia organization worth $54 billion, and one of his newspapers has been accused of hacking members of a democratically elected legislature. I think he should come to the committee to reassure them that he didn't know and to let them know that he's going to do something about it. All right. You said a minute ago that one of your aims was to reform the culture of the British media, or that would be a noble aim anyway. Uh, Simon Hughes, who you mentioned, uh, senior Lib Dem, in the same debate called for a new committee of inquiry into the press. Um, uh, will the result of this be um, a, a new clampdown, a regulatory clampdown on the British media? And is that, you know, is that something that should happen? I doubt it will happen. I mean, I personally believe in self-regulation, but I believe in effective self-regulation. And once again, we end up concluding that the Press Complaints Commission uh, has been pretty hopeless in dealing with this. Um, it's been, a, I'm, a, I'm absolutely amazed that though this story has been running on for eight days, good old Baroness Buscombe, the chair of the PCC, has not felt that she's able to comment, intervene, take action, We'll get to the facts, and I, I suspect that by the end of uh, the evidence gathering, we'll take yet another look at the role of the PCC, how it's run, how it's accountable, and um, you know who who decides who holds what position in that organisation. Okay, thank you very much, Tom Watson. Uh, there, joining us from Westminster, uh, back to Stephen Brook and Moz D here. Stephen, I mean, this is you know, this is dangerous territory for the uh, uh, for the press now. The, this big new uh, committee uh, of investigation and all these calls for new regulation of, of the press. It seems that the MPs have got the bit between their teeth. Yes, after having ignored the issue so long, or when they did finally decide that it needed to be examined with that culture, media and sport committee do so quite badly. So you wonder now how much more effective this new, more powerful committee can be. But I get really worried when I hear that Simon Hughes, that it sounds like the MPs are all in a lather. Um, Mm. They could have been making these statements when Labour was still in government when the scandal first broke. Uh, It does seem to me that Several things have happened. One, the Tories are in power now and Andy Coulson has a very powerful position. But also I just wonder whether this is a bite back because of the MPs' expenses scandal, which, you know, enraged MPs. And we're seeing that anger, I think, this week in their response to these phone hacking revelations. So, so, just, so just taking it out on, on the press? Yeah, yeah, I think there may well be an element in, of that. In, in, in general, never mind, it's not the Telegraph or whatever, but yeah. Yeah, and thank goodness we got that story out when we did. Mm. All right. Uh, uh, I mean, what, what, what's, your, what's your view? I mean, I think it's, you know, it's quite clear, as Stephen was saying, that, that, that the MPs are quite angry about it, but I wonder where this is all going to go. Um, just as a citizen, first of all, I agree, there's a whole set of agendas here which mm. I think are fascinating. But just as a citizen... Um, um, I find it terrifying how easily it is to come by these these PIN numbers that are being discussed. I had lunch with somebody the other day who is actually looking at taking a court action against News International. Right. The police inform them 
that they were on this list and have, have done a, a bit of digging as a result. And it is just from the outside, from sort of the ordinary person on the street looking at this debate, it's suddenly beginning to dawn on them that actually the whole way we communicate now is sort of you know, outside of the politics, outside of press freedoms, just as an ordinary citizen. I think there are a lot of concerns out there, which is why this story won't go away either. I think there'll be a head of steam from ordinary people wanting to know more about this. There's new allegations, and there's the, the big thing, you know, um, thing that sparked it all off again was this New York Times article. But basically, it's the same story that, that's been around for the last, you know, five years. I, I thought Nick Clegg was very good uh, in, uh, you know, very you know, for very sad reasons, having to uh, take over PMQs uh, yesterday, and he threw, I thought, a very, very good uh, retort in terms of this, that the, and, and backs up your point, Stephen, that the very first person to ring Andy Colton when he resigned from his role was a fellow called Gordon Brown, yeah. saying that it'll all blow over, you'll be fine. Well, and I think it's interesting that that same... The political landscape has shifted to exactly. such an extent that we're well, because uh, well, and, and, and the media landscape has shifted, Stephen, because, because back then, when that phone call was, was made, the uh, news international papers were, were backing the uh, Labour Party. Correct. Yeah, and there was talk, I think it might have even been Tom Watson to, uh, in the House, uh, he talked about fear and he said the politicians have, you know, had this fear and I think, you know, partly because they're so angry over MPs' expenses, maybe that fear has dissipated somewhat. But the fact that other News of the World staff were involved in receiving these transcripts is is not new. It wasn't even new when Nick Davies did his expose about the £1 million payout because the judge who sentenced Mulcair and Goodman back in November 2007 said they got different sentences and Glenn Mulcair, the private investigator, got a longer sentence than Clive Goodman, the royal editor, because in the judge's words, Mulcair had dealt with others at News International, i.e. that he had been in touch with other journalists there as he went about his activities. The point to make about that is that this has been bubbling away for so long, but you know, we're, we're certainly seeing some very different reactions to it now. Why, why did... Uh, um, I mentioned the uh, New York Times. What's the, what, what is the interest of the New York Times in this, Stephen? Well... <laughs> I mean, I think probably The Guardian has begged them to look into it. <laughs> I don't know if that's the case. but I don't, what, what? No, I don't know either, but it's, it's a good theory, isn't it? Well, it's a Murdoch strike, isn't it? It's yeah. a strike at Murdoch and, 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 and the heart of what he represents um, in terms of his competitors across the pond there. Yeah. yeah. I think the interesting thing is where this will leave Colton eventually. And I, you know, I don't know far from me to, to, to brace any predictions, but I think he's going to find it very, di- increasingly so, very difficult to maintain the position he's in. Because I think it becomes, it becomes very, very difficult, doesn't it? You know, when you're the story day in, day, in, day out, it, it's, it makes it very difficult for um, David Cameron to move on and to get, to get traction for everything else that he wants to Absolutely right. And I think that, that most people who work in um, the media, but indeed, you know, people who work in press, mm. some of the... Some of the things that are being suggested by Andy Coulson, and, you know, could well be the case that he had no knowledge of what was going on. He had no knowledge of the the working infrastructure of how his journalists were gathering stories. Um, It suggests, at the very least, pure incompetence. And And for that person to be that incompetent and in charge of, you know, government communications is rather worrying. (laughs) Well, I've actually got a quote here from Press Gazette, April 2005, that I'd like to share with the pod. 
We talk about our stories in great detail prior to publication. I'm very lucky to have a great executive team here with so much experience. We've got fantastic lawyers. Tom Crone, I believe, is the best newspaper lawyer there is. And the group of us with the backbench, the news desk, the features desk, we spend a lot of time talking about stories, thinking them through, and trying to second-guess any problems. That, of course, was Andy Coulson. Mm. A very different Andy Coulson than we saw at the Culture, Media and Sport committee saying, oh, I don't remember that front page and uh, I'm not quite sure about where we got that story, etc., etc. There's an interesting angle to take this on a bit, uh, the news of the world itself. Um, you know, the, 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 it's not – it gets itself involved in controversial stories, doesn't it, Mars? The, it, this is what, it, what it's about. And, and a few of the stories in your, in your kind of neck of the woods, of course, TalkSport being a, a sport, sports station, Rooney and John Higgins. Mm. Um, these and are Pakistan all, cricket. And, and Pakistan, of course, absolutely. Um, is, um, and how do these all – play out with your listeners i mean is rooney still still a a hero what what effect do these stories have on on the views of punters they have a huge effect on uh on punters i mean i I think it's fascinating because the the press the media uh indeed general society is blamed uh very often when uh, a footballer a Premier League footballer ends up in bed with, with two prostitutes or indeed, in, indeed two willing mm. young ladies. Um, I, I mean, that I don't think is the case. I think um, it's been since, since Roman times, you know, gladiators have been sold for sex, etc. And if you're an athlete... <laughs> really? Yeah, indeed. If you're an athlete and if you're young, it has always been the case that these salacious stories or these happenings occur and, and, and take place. So in terms, of, in terms of our audience, in terms of the audience in general, they're fascinated by Rooney. They're fascinated about the lives that are Led by these uh, premiership football players. Loads of money, huge bucket loads of celebrity, worlds colliding between rock music and actors and actresses, etc. Um, it's a fascinating, potent cocktail that, that the media laps up and, and, and so does the consumer. All right. And they are people who live ordinary lives um, until they become famous and suddenly they walk into a room and everyone wants to throw themselves at them yeah. i mean that's absolutely i don't know if you've been out for a night out with a premier league football no <laughs> i haven't actually no. no no but it is fascinating and um i have and and in one particular instance uh stood at a bar drinking soft drinks with this individual and literally within 15 minutes there was a queue a queue of women Virtually throwing themselves at this. Uh, I know, I know you're, 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 well, you're an extremely attractive man, but, 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 but what was the <laughs> Not reaction? Me. What was the reaction Not to the footballer? Um, <laughs> the reaction to the footballer was huge. <laughs> yeah. I was, right. I was I anonymous. We, we should take advice from a higher authority on this matter, Chantel, former Big Brother <laughs> winner, who said, don't date a footballer. All right. Uh, that's very good, good advice, Chantel. You, you just end up with super injunctions and all the rest of it. Anyway, uh, we'll leave that there. I'm sure we'll be coming back to this over the uh, next few weeks. Uh, in the meantime, uh, you can read even more about the news of the world uh, and the phone hacking scandal at uh, the newly relaunched and looking very lovely it is to mediaguardian.co.uk. I'm Matt Wells. You're listening to Media Talk. Uh, we'll stick with Parliament and the press as we kick off this uh, news in brief section. My wife and I really felt we'd had enough of the circulation of untrue allegations, particularly on the internet, and that at some point you have to speak out about that. Brookie, what did you make about this whole William Hague affair and this non, non-relationship with Chris Myers? Do you, who have you shared twin rooms, twin beds with? Well, I actually have been away for the bank holiday in Norway, sharing a twin room with someone I was not having a relationship <laughs> with, just to keep the holiday costs down, Norway being a very expensive country. Right. So I think that William Hague, uh, just if we'd stick to that extraordinary statement that he put out and was roundly criticised for, mm. 
I don't find it within myself to criticise William Hague for that statement because this man has been dogged by these sorts of rumours for years and years and years. And, uh, you know, that statement has, whilst revealing, you know, very personal upsetting details about number of miscarriages in, within his marriage, did what it was intended to do and has killed off the story. We yeah. are several days on from when that came out and no one is talking about it now and no one's writing about it now. All right. Uh, well, that's enough said about that then. Uh, uh, on to the BBC. Uh, Peter Salmon, the BBC's director of the North, has con- confirmed that he will be relocating to the North. You, Moz, you must, uh, you must just look, look on as, as, an ex- and as an ex-BBC hack. In, in fact, as an ex-Radio 5 Live uh, uh, senior executive, you, you'd have been up there uh, uh, with them, but you must just look on and think, what on earth are they? Oh, How are they managing to make a mess of this? this the hole gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, and some very esteemed colleagues who I like, um, I like hugely. I think the whole thing is flawed because nobody yet, yet has come out with a very definitive editorial rationale. Mm. I mean, there are many that they've been spoken about, but a very clear mission statement and editorial rationale as to why that many people from the BBC are entrenched in the north. There are, there are gesture politics clearly involved with this, um, but until that happens and that firm leadership takes place, it will, it will be dogged by this. And firm leadership means, as Peter Salmon is doing, mm. is moving lock, stock and well, barrel finally, to that lake. Finally, absolutely. Yeah. Adrian Van Claveren, again, somebody I hold in very high regard and know well, a very nice human being, has found himself um, flustered when questioned on this issue of sort of living in a pedeter somewhere in, in Manchester during the week and heading back to the family at the weekend and then asking colleagues, asking uh, staff to do that, to well, move... Well, well I think, I think, le, 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 colleagues who can't afford to do what he's doing because he's, you know, paid better. Absolutely. Um, and there are many who will be leaving the BBC as a result of mm. that. Many. Mm. Moving to talk sports, some of them? Well, who knows? <laughs> who knows? I'll have to wait and see I on that. I just think they've moved the wrong parts of the BBC... Five Live, Breaking News and Sport. Uh, this has been said a million times before, but it's inescapable. Before the Olympics, it needs to be in London. Mm. The year of the Olympics, it needs to be in London. Uh, well, uh, but also, you, you, you need to think about why they're doing it. Um, I mean, it doesn't strike me particularly that Five Live sounds a particularly London station. Your station, uh, Talk Sport, is based in London, but if you listen to it, it doesn't really sound, you know, you sound like you've got a bunch of, bunch of northerners. <laughs> you know, it's not about necessarily where, where you put a station, is it? It's about how it sounds it's about the center of gravity it's right. about you know what what people's common experiences are one of the one of the reasons when i was there one of the discussions had that you know why it sounded so um southeastern five live and other speech services uh, national speech service on the bbc is that the people that populate and work in it mm. and set the editorial agenda come from that metropolitan area so their experience is the tube strike for instance whereas that might not be an experience that you would share if you lived in coventry so the way you spoke your euphemisms your 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 cultural references are all framed by where you live so i think it's, it's quite a potent argument to suggest that actually rather than taking these people with you that you should re-employ individuals that come from a place yeah. or move and live and breathe and work in an environment where you have to send your kids to school, where you have to pay the council tax, because then all your your terminology, the, the references you make, your um, editorial compass comes from that particular location. I think that is a fair enough rationale for, 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 for national services to come from another area of the country rather than London. You've got to wonder whether... They could have done this a bit more intelligently by just having certain programs mm. come from Greater Manchester. If we look back to the good old days and Pebble Mill at one, 
Birmingham. Birmingham, a very successful program. It made a real feature of its DNA and its editorial ethos by being based in Birmingham. I think, I think you're spot on, Stephen. I think, de facto, that's what's going to happen with Five Live. It won't be announced as such, but you, you do need a news hub in London. It's where the seat of government is, and I think there'll be many people who will maintain you know, Five Live status that will be presenting shows and presenting from London in order to do the very job that Five Live is required to do, which is be a 24-hour breaking news service. Um, let's talk a bit about Top Gear. Uh, the BBC failed to have an injunction to stop uh, Ben Collins publishing uh, his memoirs and re- revealing himself as the man behind the stig costume i mean i don't quite know what to what i think about this Stephen. i sort of don't have much sympathy with the bbc but i don't have much sympathy with him either particularly shall i help you make up your mind matt i just think ben collins has been greedy in all of this he's got his book deal and he is you know publishing a book and he hopes it's going to sell lots of copies and he realizes this is a way to make money but the whole point of this he has ruined the stig by Revealing himself, but and I think the though? BBC. Everyone no, knows that it's, a, it's no. some some guy behind it, and does it does it matter? No, not at all. And if I was Jeremy, and, and bear in mind, you know, this is this is a license. There are a lot of people making money out of the the Top Gear brand, yes. not least the BBC uh, and uh, Jeremy Clarkson, uh, you know, BBC Worldwide, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, is that I would be rubbing my hands with glee if I were Jeremy Clarkson, and I would be. I think he cries crocodile tears. The amount of publicity again aimed at this program has been immense it's hugely popular it's a brilliant formula um it's as fantastic business for the bbc and all those individuals involved and this will only i think increase its audience share he isn't the first stig there no. wasn't there was a stig mm. prior to this one but they, uh, got they called it the black him, stig didn't yeah, they? because he revealed himself and it, it just perpetuates the whole thing they'll find another guys they'll find another stig stig s yes. you know whatever that i think will will continue and i, I you know i i agree with matt i'm not crying tears for anybody really. it could be I think everybody's made money, including Ben Collins. Could be a job for Sarah Kennedy. Oh, I was going to. How's that for a link? I wanted to mention Sarah Kennedy. She's uh, she's well, she's left, of course, but she's not been that there for for a few months. She's the, the veteran morning morning DJ, Radio Two legend. Uh, moving on, she was a bit of a loose cannon at five AM. Was oh, to say the very least. <laughs> To say the very least. And, you know, it's one of those dilemmas that, that you have when you've, you're running radio stations is that you want the edgy, you want a character, you want colour, you want somebody that people will, will talk about and engage with, not yeah. just as a presenter, but just as a real fallible person. Uh, person. And actually, that sort of talent is very rare and is very hard to get hold of. Um, and, I mean, she said some, and his quotes are saying, some pretty outrageous things in her time, which would have been a nightmare. But, you know, because of that, that lack of that, that real sort of common touch talent, she has survived that. But I think there's an inevitability. There's only so many strikes that one can, uh, can take before actually the inevitable comes in. I mean, I understand from the BBC, I understand from Radio 2, that it was her decision to leave the show, and we have to respect that yeah. and, and move on. But I'm sure, and I wish her well, but I'm sure Radio 2 will survive somehow. She is one of the very few uh, female presenters on, on Radio 2, which I think is a big issue for, for, for Radio 2, actually, and it's something that they need to address. Hmm. I don't think there's any shortage, actually, of good female um presentation out there i think radio 2 under bob shannon is 
gradually um, changing its taking on um, responsibilities. And it has, it has very fundamental and unique responsibilities within BBC Radio because it's so bloody huge. Right. It's massive and has a huge audience. So it recognises that often, you know, Bob, who I know well and work with, former colleague at Five Live, I think is, is hugely equipped, I think, to take Radio 2 on to, uh, to where it needs to be. And I think that, that female presentation is one of them, which I know, I know he's addressing. We'll finish this week with a bit of television news. Uh, there's a new sofa in town. Oh, Adrian, there's a lot to get through for the first show, you know. Move. Oh. Okay, news and current affairs. Bit of showbiz. Let's Sport. Written a few gags for you. Have you? Oh, yeah. Promise yes, me you're yes, going to yes. read this. Yep. This is crucial. Okay, yep. Happy reading. Okay. Bye. Bye. Um, what a happy couple they make. It, but basically, it's that it's... The one show 2.0, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. That's, that's, and I think that may be um, the bits I've seen, and I'll defer to Stephen here, I think who sat through it all, I have no <laughs> idea, um, is, is exactly that. And I think that may be one of its problems, one of its issues, that, that, that lifting something wholesale... Lock, stock and barrel. Onto, ...onto another station in a different context, a different time, whatever, it's, it can be quite grating. I think that it's good. I've enjoyed watching it. I think that they have the knack of being able to report about anything... I think that it's a bit more intelligent than GMTV was, which always struck me, to put it bluntly, as being a little bit thick. But, you know, they've done the important stories. They've done the burning of the Koran story, and then they went from that immediately to the slums in New Delhi yeah, ahead that of the was, Commonwealth Games. That was, good, that was a good report. Exactly. And the Blair interview as well. And the Blair interview. Yeah. yeah. And which is I not a bad interview. That they are... I always, I always think we talk too much about stars and their impacts on programs because the content is really important. If the content isn't there, then you have a problem. But because I think the content does seem to be there, they add a little extra sparkle. And my goodness, if you go from Daybreak to BBC Breakfast, it, it looks Stark. awfully dull yeah, in comparison. If I, I'd just like to, to sing up really the praises of Adrian Childs, who can, can be much maligned in certain areas of the press. Um, he, I think, makes that show work, indeed, in the way that he made the one show work. Here's a man who has presented on radio. Um, he's well known uh, for his knowledge of football and sport and his ability to communicate with that common touch, but with a lot of knowledge and, a, and, and you know, a very large interland. He's a guy who's presented business news uh, with the working lunch on the BBC. He's a guy who's presented hardcore news. Um, hardcore, he's done hardcore, hardcore news. He's done hardcore news uh, with Adrian Charles. So when you put him in that environment... I think he's very at ease of, you know, Blair on GMTV, I think, would have had an easier ride. All right, it wasn't, it wasn't Humphreys and the Today programme. Well, but he, we, he, he asked the right questions, yes. the salient questions, um, and, and made got, Blair struggle on occasion. And, and he got the story, you know, he got the stories out of, you know, out of them, and it was all across the, yeah. you know... I just can't stand but, that set, and it's all that sort of fluffy, fluffy stuff with the, you know, I don't know. It's I, purple and yellow. I it, know. It looks like, yellow. it looks like... It's, well, as Hadley Freeman said on The Guardian, it looks like they're in the foyer of a Premier <laughs> Inn. Right. But that's fine. You've got the Thames in the background. Well, that's not going to be no good as well. At daybreak, it's going to be middle of the fucking night for, <laughs> in, in, the next, in the next few weeks, isn't but, it? But isn't, um, actually, on a serious point, isn't BBC Breakfast moving to Salford? Isn't that one of yes, the programmes? So yes. they are going to be in an awful lot of trouble if 
they want to get talent to be interviewed on their new set whenever it comes because they'll have to fly them up to Salford. Well, they'll have the backdrop of Salford Keys, so you Mm. pay your money, it takes your pick. I know know that Adrian Charles has this reputation as being a bit of a curmudgeon and a grump and not able to do anything other than take himself anything other than really seriously. But there was a fantastic segment where they were talking about what they've got to do when they meet Prince Charles, and he actually got down on bended knee and kissed Christine's hand. <laughs> oh, dear, honestly. Uh, okay, I think uh, that, uh, that's enough about Daybreak. And this, uh, this next show is probably more that we're going to talk about. It's more suited to you, Brookie, than uh, Moz. But what, what do we make of the new lineup on Strictly? It's um, Anne Whittacombe, oh. Anne Whittacombe, Felicity Candle, Paul. Sorry, was that not in your briefing note? Um, <laughs> Anne Whittacombe, Felicity Candle, Paul Daniels, Peter Shilton. You know, you remember Peter him. Shilton, Gavin Hen- yeah. Henson, indeed. Yeah, Gavin Henson, Patsy Kensett. And, and, um, and the, uh, Bruce Forsyth's not going to do Sunday nights, so he's sort of half retired. Not only is he not doing Sunday nights, but Claudia Winkleman is doing Sunday nights. Well, I don't object to that. Do you object I, to that? Uh, well, I think uh, kind of. She can do nothing else other than be terribly enthusiastic about right. everything. <laughs> so I don't know if there's any shades of grey with Gloria. It's a, I think it's a very sad list, actually. And it always smacks me when I read lists like this. of People are either really desperate to rekindle some kind of notoriety or they need the money. You know, and Widdicombe. But I think one of the big surprises for me was the, the fact that Bruce Forsyth was doing it at all. Yeah. And if we remember um, that the whole debacle with the um, Dubeck, is it, or Dubeck? Uh, uh, Anton Dubeck. Yes. Anton, yeah. And the, the use of the word packy. Yeah. And Bruce well, that Forsyth. Finished, Bru- finished off his, his prospect. He could have. He but Forsyth, Bruce, Bruce Forsyth coming on then, yeah. um, indeed on our radio station, and, yeah. and exclusively defending that and saying, well, it's, you know, that sort of word or that sort of thing. You know, we should all be light-hearted about it. it caused a huge amount of offence mm. and a huge furore and angered the BBC um, to a point where I felt it's almost impossible for them to bring this guy back on the next series and they'll certainly be on a search, uh, a Mission Impossible maybe, to find find a new host. But, you know, Brucey's there. He's still retained. Well, How mean, old was, is he now? I don't, I don't know. We'll 80-something, It was it? just hypocrisy, wasn't it, with Carol Thatcher off-air making Correct. the thing yes. about the frog. And um, then Anton Dubeck being treated differently because he was a bigger star than she was, I thought. Also, I, you know, this is ancient history, but Arlene Phillips being sacked. Oh, no, a bit I of still, a still sour rankles, still taste rankles. in my mouth, and yeah. I enjoyed the programme a lot less after that happened. All right, uh, there we are. Strictly Come Dancing. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, well, that's it for this week. Sorry about the male-dominated nature of this week's podcast. Uh, I, I promise I'll wear a dress next week. Uh, to post your feet, I definitely, most definitely not wear a dress next week, just to be clear. Uh, I might at the weekend, though. Uh, to post your feedback on the show, head to the blog. That's guardian.co.uk uk slash media talk or get in touch on twitter by following me uh, matthew wells uh, i have a note to wish all our jewish listeners a happy new year well i know we have at least one jewish listener steve ackerman uh, uh, i'm matt wells thank you for listening our producer is ben green goodbye for now for more great downloads go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio uh, well, they claim to have spoken to about 10 uh, staff at the News of the World, and the list of 91 pin numbers...